Pushkin. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. Member FDIC. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. This is Talk Easy. I'm Sam Fragoso. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm joined by the musician, Sid. She's a founding member of a musical collective called The Internet and a former member of the group Odd Future. Most recently, she's dropped her second solo album entitled Broken Hearts Club. In keeping with the spirit of her work with the internet, this new record defies genre, sitting at the intersection of R&B, soul, funk, hip-hop, and jazz. It has a little bit of everything for everyone, which is kind of fitting for someone like Sid, who, at age 29, has done every kind of job in the music industry. As you'll hear more about in this episode, she began as a self-starting engineer in Los Angeles, using her childhood bedroom as a kind of makeshift studio. Then she started producing for Odd Future before becoming their touring DJ, opening for acts like Tyler the Creator, Frank Ocean, and Earl Sweatshirt. Eventually, after leaving the Fairfax-founded group, she formed her own collective with the internet, and now serves as their de facto band leader. Regardless of the profession or the genre, I think the through line in Sid's work is a kind of experimentation, a willingness to try something new, both musically and lyrically. And the result of that willingness is a record like Broken Hearts Club, which, if you haven't listened to it already, can be found wherever you get your music. We talk about the new album in great detail on today's show, but we also get into her winding journey in music, the influence of her mother, and who Sid hopes to be in the years ahead as she approaches her 30th birthday. If you're new to the show, we've sat with musicians like Vince Staples, Kevin Abstract, Brittany Howard, Run the Jewels, David Byrne, Questlove. In all of those episodes, we try to have a conversation you may not hear elsewhere. A talk driven by research and curiosity that aims to honor both the work and the human being behind it. That was certainly our goal in this episode as we tried to get to the heart of how Sid does what she does. And so I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we enjoyed having it. And without further ado, this is Sid. Sid, what did you have for breakfast? I haven't had breakfast 
<laughs> I have had some coffee, mm-hmm. and I've had a mimosa. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm terrible. I think you're doing it better than all of us. Lately, I've been day drinking, and then I'll eat healthy at night. It's it's. I'm not proud. I'm not proud at all. I actually was talking to my girlfriend about it yesterday, and I was like, she was like, all right, let's celebrate the album release. Like, I'll buy you a bottle of Hennessy. I was like, please don't. <laughs> She was like, are you sure? I was like, yeah. She was like, are you sure, sure? I was like, please don't. <laughs> don't keep asking because I might change my mind. So today is the actual day that your record is being released. Yeah. Your girlfriend is tempting you with Hannah <laughs> How are you feeling today? I'm feeling, I'm feeling great today. Album releases feel like birthdays because everybody's just... Is that a good thing or bad thing for you? It's a great thing, I think. You like birthdays. I like birthdays. I don't really celebrate them like that, but I enjoy having the day to kind of call the shots, as you will. Usually the shots I call are like, I'll be at home if you want to stop by. (laughs) Is this part of calling the shots coming on the show? Yes. (laughs) This is news to me. Yeah. I'm honored to have you on such a big day. Yeah. But the anxiety of putting something out, you're wearing it really well if you are anxious. I'm not anxious right now. I was very anxious last night. So when my album came out, I was actually at a film premiere. My brother is starring in a new film, and I was at his film premiere. So the whole time you're watching this film thinking, oh, no. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, let's get into this record, because for your last solo record... You said you were inspired by 808s and rap-styled cadences. You also added some hard-hitting bass, which was in some way, I think, inspired by your time DJing for Odd Future. You wanted to have more energy. For sure. After you released that record, you said, for the next one, I just want it to be 100%. What I'm looking for is more individuality, accepting what makes me an individual, what makes me different, and trying to run with it. Is this record, Broken Hearts Club, 100% you? Yeah, it is. That's crazy. And that's probably why it took so long. In the process of making this album, I learned a lot about myself. It's a true story. I actually got dumped. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but if you've ever been dumped, like one of the knee-jerk reactions typically is like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, what's wrong with me? So I spent a few months like searching or whatever might be wrong with me. And in doing that, I learned so much about myself and I I reached a new level of self-awareness. What was wrong with you? Nothing. <laughs> of course, I'm not perfect. I'm always looking for ways to improve. But in terms of that relationship, I knew there was nothing I did wrong. There was nothing wrong about me. People change. <laughs> yeah. But you made... At least more than half of these songs while you're in love. Yes. In this relationship, which is why some of these tracks are really upbeat. Definitely the kind of songs you write when you're head over heels, Mm -hmm. wearing rose colored glasses. (laughs) And then in May of 2020, Mm -hmm. COVID has taken hold of the world. Yeah. And you are breaking up with your partner. Yeah. That must have put the record in a difficult place for you. I told everybody, I was like, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't listen to this. Because it reminded you of her. Yeah. And like, I was bitter. I was so bitter. So I tried to write some songs while I was still bitter and they came out sounding so nasty. (laughs) And that's what kind of forced me to take a break. Nasty how? Like I listened back to them and was like, oh no, (laughs) I, I sound so gross in ways I was just spewing just anger, not hate, but anger. And it was like ongoing anger. Like there was a one song that I wrote where I was just like, you I have a verse, a pre-hook, a hook and a post. And it's all angry. Like this is this is too much. <laughs> you know, we actually have that song here. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't think that song will ever see the light of day. I think I burned it. You know, when most people go through a breakup, they take out their phones delete some of the photos or the memories they have together with the person. They walk around their house. Anything they bought together as a couple, that shit's gone. And yet you are kind of stuck with these songs. Yeah. How do you move forward from that? How do you grapple with that? So I had to finish this album once I'd healed. 
it took like five months before I started like really consciously writing songs for the album again. You know you feel once you like go there and you're okay. The heartbreak songs on the album was like a test almost. What was the first song that you wrote coming back? Goodbye, My Love. I actually wrote that one still crying. <laughs> I like how you're laughing at that. I laugh to keep from crying. No, I, I, I wrote that one like sobbing at my parents' then, dining room table. Why don't we hear a little bit of that song? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. This is Goodbye, My Love off Broken Hearts Club by Sid. So you wrote that in the throes of a breakup. Mm -hmm. Now you're two years removed. Mm -hmm. How does that hit listening right now? Now I listen more for my vocal performance. (laughs) I'm not thinking too much about the topic. But, you know, man, that instrumental is just, this transports me sometimes. Maybe that's a sign for you when you're finally able to move on. Is you yeah. only hear the musical part of the song, not the lyrical content of it. That's what I'm saying, man. Like when I was finally able to record it, I was like, oh, wow, I've made it. You said this period in the aftermath of your breakup was a time where you were learning about yourself. What did you learn? I learned to trust my individuality. I learned that I'm stronger than I think I am. I learned that I'm pretty cute and pretty cool. And it took the pandemic to realize some of that. Yeah, and maybe some, like, self-love, I guess. I get a facial every six weeks, so, you know. (laughs) That helped me to feel cute. Like, for instance, when I was releasing the last solo album, I was so self-conscious and so insecure, and a lot of it came because I had bad acne. So thankfully, like, during the relationship that this album is about, I got my skin right. (laughs) So she left me as soon as I got my skin right. And I was like, what? Big mistake. Yeah, I was like, how? Me? (laughs) But, you know, it was humbling. It was Mm -hmm. super humbling. Like, wow, like, I am at my best and I'm getting left right now. (laughs) (laughs) So before that, you had an insecurity about how you looked, how you moved to the world. Yeah. The idea of you singing on your own on a record that's just yours, I believe it starts at age 16, around (laughs) 2008. You make a song called Flashlight. Yeah. Can we play some of that for a second? Uh, Sure. I haven't heard this in years. Okay, yeah. Let's go for it. This is Flashlight by Sid. Yeah, I wrote this about my crush at the time. Okay, so set the scene here. You're oh you're you're 16, okay. yes. 2008. Yeah. You're recording at your parents' house. Yeah. Had you had moved from the bedroom to the guest house at that point? No, no, no. So you're yet. in the bedroom. Yeah. Studio is still in my room actually. And I had made the beat and then was just like so proud of my beat. <laughs> so I'm sitting in bed listening to this beat and these lyrics start to come to mind. And I'm like, oh, let me record them so I don't forget them. (laughs) And then I recorded them and was like, oh, wow. I just made a song, like, all by myself. (laughs) And up to that point, I was just an engineer who, like, made beats but didn't play them for anybody. I was like, okay, let me sleep on it because sometimes you make stuff and you wake up the next day and you're like, oh, my God, this is terrible. So I was like, let me sleep on it and make sure it's not terrible. I woke up the next morning, I was still proud of my my beat and my song. 
And I called my best friend, Justin, and was like, hey, I made this song. <laughs> Can you come listen to me? And let, like, let me know if it's trash or not, like, please. So he came through. I was like, go listen to it. I'm going to go take a shower because I can't sit here while you listen to it. When I got out, he was like, hey, man, it's pretty fire. <laughs> I was like, okay. That sounded like a teenage boy. It was a teenage boy. He was my neighbor. We went to school together since middle school. How did that make you feel? You finally made something that was just you on your own. I mean, it's the most empowering thing you can do as an artist is like prove to yourself that you can do it. And for me, like somebody who wanted to be a producer and a songwriter, it was just the ultimate proof that I could do it. At that time, you're 16. You had been making beats and producing and engineering inside your bedroom. Mm -hmm. A little bit after that, you go to the guest house that's above the garage of your parents' home? Yes. Okay. Yes. You've created this kind of studio inside your house, and you've advertised <laughs> all of this on MySpace for like $8 an hour. Yeah. I think you bumped it up to 10 eventually. 10 and then and then 15 and then I stopped. <laughs> then I was giving out future free studio time. Right. And Vince Staples, too, which shout out. He just dropped an album today, too. He drops like three records a year. <laughs> he can be a machine when he wants to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this time when you give on future free space before you do that, it's my understanding that first you meet Haji Beats mm -hmm. in a session. Yeah. Then one day you wake up with grand plans to go to In-N-Out. Yes. <laughs> you open your front door. What happens? I go out to my car, open the door. My brother, Travis, uh, had been hanging out on Fairfax a lot at the time, and I knew that he had become friends with some of Our Future. I open the door, and almost all of Our Future is, <laughs> is there <laughs> outside, like at the side of the house, kind of where my studio is at. Tyler asked if he could use the studio. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm on my way to go eat. But if you guys want to hang out, like, I'll be back. Listen. Twelve boys. <laughs> yeah, I think, it was, I think I counted like 12. Yeah. The image of that is so vivid. <laughs> and you being like, I have in and out plans. I'm sorry. <laughs> In those early years, you're producing and making stuff with them. When you look back at that time, you're a teenager finishing high school. Mm-hmm. What parts do you hold on to? It was the time we spent up in the guest house. I think I can speak for everybody in our future when I say that, because when I left the guest house, everybody was really upset at me. <laughs> but I was 19. I wasn't going to college, and I had finally made some money, and I wanted to get my own place. And I took all my equipment with me to my apartment, which was on the other side of town, and nobody wanted to go over there. Wasn't part of that about you and your mother kind of going at it? It was a little bit of that. Most teenagers go through a phase where they start butting heads with their parents. And I went through that phase really late. I was a late bloomer. So for me, that didn't happen until I was like 18, 19. Right before my 19th birthday, we signed our deal. I wake up with a bunch of money in my bank account and I'm like, oh, my gosh. But the truth is my mom picked out my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> so, it wasn't too bad. And honestly, what really made me move out was that Matt Martians had just moved into town and he moved to L.A. with like no money, but he was about to get a deal. And in the meantime, he was living at his friend's dad's apartment complex, renting a room. And it was really... It was a little sketch here and there, and one day he went home to his apartment, and there was it was a stranger in there. He was told that the dude rented the other room, like without saying anything. And so Matt just grabbed all his stuff, he <laughs> brought it out to the car, was like, "Get me out of here! We gotta get out of here!" So then he crashed at my place for about a week, and in that week's time, we decided, okay, let's just go ahead and move in together. So we were actually going on tour. So me, Mike G, and the rest of Op Future went out on a little tour, and while we were gone, Matt and my mom went apartment hunting. <laughs> <laughs> and they sent us, like, videos of the place. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. It's fine. Before that tour happens, you and Tyler and, and some of the members of Odd Future kind of hit a wall, right, where, where it didn't feel like this is going to work. 
What did you do to get around that? So I created this fake PR company. <laughs> I bought a domain name. By the way, people at home, now they're taking notes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny, actually, because like the setup was this. I noticed that everybody around us, all the artists around us in our lane, were getting a lot of love from the blogs, and we weren't. And I thought that the difference between us and them was that most of them were backed by some branding agency. And I'm doing air quotes, branding agency. And I say that because it was just a L.A. squad, you know, people I knew who like worked on Fairfax, but were like plugged in here and there. I thought, okay, maybe if people think that there's like a company behind us, they'll take us more seriously. So I uh, created like a fake PR company, built a website, logo put up some press releases, and then I started sending out press releases to all the blogs. (laughs) Were you always that resourceful? Yes. She says confidently. (laughs) I'm kind of impatient. I don't like waiting to find somebody else to do stuff for me if I can, in that time, learn how to do it myself. So that's kind of what I did. I got, matter of fact, I got a press release in my email. I was like, what the hell is this? Who is Wiz Khalifa? And uh, I was like, is this what everybody's doing? Are they just spamming people? Yes. I was like, okay, bet. Like, we can do that. It's easy. We can spam. We can spam. We have a computer. Yeah. So it was like Sid at ShakeChange.com. That was the company. It was called ShakeChange because I was broke and I had always had change in my pocket. Shortly after that, you do go on tour like you were talking about. Yeah. In 2017, you did a Reddit AMA. Do you remember this Reddit name app? Yes. Someone wrote in, I don't have the username, and asked you, what was the tour like? What was that like to be on tour at a young age? You suddenly look nervous, but... <laughs> I'm like, I don't remember what I said. <laughs> Here's but... what you said. We all truly believe that what we were doing was special and important and historic. And that's what kept us in the studio together for all that time before we started touring. At that time, it did feel like we were friends, but honestly, more than that, we were a team. Shit got out of hand when we started touring. Most of us never had money and had never been on tour, and it was a lot to take in. We were kids, still are. Yeah, true story. How do you sit with those touring years now? I'm really grateful for them. Because they make me really appreciate my band. (laughs) The band you have now. Yeah, the internet. Like, touring with my band is, it's fun. Touring with Odd Future was stressful and nobody's fault. It was just, we got thrown into a lot of attention. I was not used to that kind of attention at all. I, I was a loner in school. And a lot of us had never had any money before. So I think you learn a lot about yourself when you get some money. That's when you're able to do all the things you thought you wanted to do and buy all the things you thought you needed in your life. And you have to then figure out, okay, what do I actually still need and still want and what don't I? And we all went through that in our own ways and times. And I didn't know how to DJ. <laughs> I, was, I was so stressed about my job. I just taught myself how to DJ because they didn't have a DJ I was the engineer. They didn't want to hire a DJ. They cut me in on the record deal, and it was like, okay, well, I might as well like learn how to DJ. So you have a rowdy group <laughs> of friends <laughs> that are young, like any young person, except yeah. they have money, which is new not money. normal. Yeah, new money. Right. Yeah. And you have a job that you don't know how to do. <laughs> I'm not confident at all. And it's my understanding you're starting to grapple with your own depression Yes, yes. that you had at that point. Yeah, well, I started suffering from depression at 14. Did that happen when you decided to not be on the basketball team? Um, yeah. It was around the same time. Although that was because I didn't like the coaches. And I just started high school. I actually was ostracized in, like, freshman year by my group of friends at that time. Who were on the basketball team? Yeah. They actually ostracized me because I quit the basketball team, I think. Can I tell you something? What? The exact same thing happened to me. Bro. My freshman year. Bro. I've never said this on the show before, but I played like 
three or four games in the season. Mm -hmm. Same. And I hated all the coaches and I hated my teammates. I had this sort of nagging interest in writing. And I was like, you know, I think I got to do this. But I've always regretted how I exited, which was like I was slowly walking back. (laughs) I was like ghosting my basketball team. Uh. I was also ostracized from all my teammates and everyone at that school. And I wondered for you, how did you deal with that? Oh, man, it drove me. I think that's why I'm successful, because I wanted to prove to those girls (laughs) I joined the basketball team with these two girls that I was, like, super close to when I just got to my first high school. I ended up going to a different high school, actually, after that, because I was like, I gotta go. Me too. Yeah. We went through conditioning together. We started the season. I wanted to quit through conditioning, but I was like, I'm not a bitch. (laughs) I can't quit during conditioning. That's not respectable. So I made it through conditioning just to prove a point and then I quit. I literally showed up to like game three with no uniform, <laughs> sat on the floor next to the coach and was like, yeah, I, um, I'm going to quit the team. He was like, fine. <laughs> and I was like, okay, thanks. Bye. And then I literally left, <laughs> went home in the middle of their game, like didn't. And I think maybe that's why they were mad at me, but Anyway, they just, like, started ignoring me, like, at school, like, acting like they didn't know me anymore. That's around the time that you started to first notice your depression. Yes. And then I was, yeah, I was crying a lot at school. Even when I went to the next school, like, and I thought that would help because I actually have more friends at the next school I went to because all my middle school friends went to this one high school. You were at? A school in the Palisades, and then yes. you went to Hamilton. Hamilton Music. Music Academy, man, and everybody from my middle school was at Hamilton. So I got there, and I already knew people, which was comfortable. But also I had just more to do there. There was a music technology class. I got really cool with the teacher and, like, would ask him all kinds of advice on my studio and what kind of equipment I should get. So it all worked out. And at the end of the day, in the back of my mind was this drive and this need to want them to wish they could be my friend again. But that depression we were talking about, yeah, which you were experiencing on tour, yes, it seemed to me that you didn't really have too many people to talk to about um, that. No, just Matt. I had nobody on the road with me. When you're on the road, do you remember those phone calls you used to have with your mother? I remember sometimes they would end with her calling Matt and <laughs> saying, can you call Sid? She is going through it right now, and she's so far away. <laughs> I mean, every time I would call home, and I'd call and be like, I just I want, I want to come home. They'd be like, you're doing something great, though. <laughs> and I'd be like, but I hate it here. But I'm glad I stuck through it because I survived. It's around that time that you write a song called They Say. Yeah. That would appear on the internet's first record, Purple Naked Ladies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The song's from 2011. What was happening when you were writing it? Full transparency, I was coming down from an acid trip. And I was in the living room of our Marina Del Rey apartment, me and Matt. And me and Matt had made that beat. I wrote it on the floor. I wrote the song on the floor. Tay Walker was there. I was coming down from a very, you know, spiritual experience. And so if you're in the right state of mind, you know, it can be very eye-opening and um, triumphant. So that song for me was an expression of my struggle. (laughs) But also, I don't like to write sad songs. Even if it's a sad song, I kind of like to throw in a a hint of, like, glass half full. I want to get to the glass half full part of this. Yeah. Why don't we listen to the song first? This is... They say by the internet. They say that every day's a struggle and it takes time. But do they, do they have a clue? How do I, do I tell the truth from a lie now? They try to say hello, it's goodbye tomorrow. Throw a little chip in the bowl and you'll be alright. You'll be alright. The first part of that song, you wrote, They say that every day is a struggle and it takes time. But do they do they have a clue? It seemed like that song was articulating something about where you wanted to go 
on the other side of Odd Future. Mm. Here are your words on the song. So people aren't like, she didn't say that. Okay. <laughs> Here's what you said. Yes. When I made that song, that was right when I was like, okay, I don't want to be a DJ for the rest of my life. But if I quit, Odd Future are going to hate. Yeah. And they did for a second. <laughs> they were very upset. And thankfully, my, my brother was able to come in and take my spot. It was an interesting time. We were finishing this album during the last tour I did with Odd Future. It was a trying tour. <laughs> Everyone was trying me. And I said, look, I'll go home. <laughs> Don't worry about me. I can go home and finish my album with Matt. What does trying you look like? It was a lot of passive aggressiveness. And we were young, so like we weren't that mature yet, but... I don't take well to passive aggressive stuff. So it was a lot of like passive aggressive energy. And I was the one confronting it. <laughs> the only one, ironically, I'd be the one like, hey, can I talk to you real quick in the back? Passive aggressive about the work you were doing or, or um, the conditions of the tour? About the conditions mostly. So on that tour specifically, I brought Matt because we were working on our album, and I don't think anybody realized we were finishing our, an album, which, you know, I was signed, so it was going to come out on our label. But I brought him for that and for emotional support, because when he wasn't on tour with me, I was calling him every time I had a panic attack. And so they were like, yeah, you know what, like, let's bring him on tour, like, we'll make it work. But some of the guys in the group were like a little ticked off that I got to bring a friend when it's like, you know, he was in our future the whole time. So it was kind of like confusing. And I and I just had to explain, like, you realize we're like finishing an album, right? That's about to drop on this label. like, And I'll gladly go home and finish it at home if y'all don't need a DJ. But like, I figured y'all needed a DJ and like, this is what I need to be here. So everybody got on a, on the same accord and we kept it moving. <laughs> the lyrics you have here in this song that I just, I love. <laughs> you say, just think if things were perfect, would it be worth it if even at it all? So don't act like you can't take it. You were meant to be greatness. You can weather the storm. Yeah. Note to self. <laughs> in my right mind, I, I write notes to myself in my songs. Note to self. I can be more than what I am. Mm -hmm. And it makes its way so clearly in a song. <laughs> wow. I, yeah, I never thought anybody would interpret it that way. That's so cool. Do you think it's a fair interpretation? Totally. I, any interpretation I think is fair. And I think it, music is meant to be interpreted uniquely. From that song onward, it does kind of feel like you made that song and then that whole record as a way of saying, I can do this. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, mind you, the first Internet album was, matter of fact, the Internet during that time was meant to be a producer supergroup. It started out as me, Matt, Left Brain and Hal Williams. And what I was trying to do with that album was show that I could write songs, not that I could be an artist. <laughs> In fact, I tried to get other people to sing all these songs, but I just couldn't. And uh, Matt was like, let's just leave your voice on there. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so initially it was, like I said, it was, it was an experiment, man. Like also those songs were the first songs that Matt and I had ever made together. Those were the first beats we had ever made together. Like literally the first beat Matt and I ever made together was on that album. We were going to put it on SoundCloud. But Clancy was like, but you have a deal. <laughs> and I was like, but I'm not an artist, am I? And he was like, why not? And I was like, oh, all right, shoot. <laughs> we'll be right back after a quick break. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls 
offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Digital trends show up every day in business decisions and actions. West Monroe is the number one strategic partner translating technology into financial value for companies. The This Is Digital podcast applies West Monroe's two decades of secrets and best practices to your business's benefit. Favorite past topics from the last three seasons include how AI and the next generation of employees are shaping the workplace, becoming a product company, Highmark's journey, and what does it mean to put the customer first. Learn more at westmonroe.com. When you were 20 years old, you were being interviewed, and they were asking you about your shyness. <laughs> and you said, I've always wanted to hold the mic on stage, at least once. It's like every shy person's dream. I've always wanted to be a rock star, but I'm just ultra shy and scared. Every shy person's dream is to rock a fucking crowd and be wild. <laughs> of course, yeah, I get nervous before every show. My stomach is like somewhere else, but I want to be on stage. So weird how that works. Yeah, I have really bad stage fright. <laughs> Which part works? How I experience the worst anxiety of my life before I have to perform, and yet I keep doing it. <laughs> I've been talking about quitting since the day it started and I believe it's called masochism yeah <laughs> the pre-show anxiety it's pretty tame now and I also got some medication for it <laughs> very like lightweight you don't even really feel it but it helps me get rid of that pit in my stomach and ultimately my anxiety stems from like my vocal performance I'm really confident in my stage presence but I'm not as confident in my voice live. So <laughs> I'm always like in my head. That quote of you at 20 saying, I'm meant to do this. In some ways, it, it was like that song. Mm -hmm. You're putting it out into the public record almost as like a challenge. It's a manifest to yourself. Tool, yeah. You're manifesting it. Yeah. But I have to say, the one thing that keeps eating at me, you and I are kind of the same age. I'm like two years younger than you. Okay. I grew up with your stuff and we were the same-ish age while you were making it. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing that I kept finding is that around the violent imagery in the lyrics, you were asked over and over again to answer for words that you didn't write and for songs you didn't always produce <laughs> made by people you befriended in <laughs> high school. And I wondered, looking back on that, do you think people forgot that you all were just kids? Well, and also you got to remember that, like, we were black kids. And most people don't see black kids as kids. They hold us to a <laughs> an adult standard. So there was that, I think. And also, you know, like... I understand. I understand, like, the public outrage. Believe it or not, the first time I heard the lyrics of Odd Future, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, so extra. But <laughs> I was I was tied into the, the music, and um, I stuck around for that. But these days, I'm grateful that <laughs> everybody kind of swarmed me with the questions because it was the best media training. <laughs> <laughs> anybody can get you're just thrown into like a lion's den of how could you and you just have to like that's how <laughs> i don't know just, what i don't know but how could you what how could you support this that was the main question was how could you as a gay person support a group of kids who we don't think they're gay and they <laughs> use a lot of gay homophobic slurs. My answer was always like, I look at how they treat me and they treat me with respect. Do you still believe in that answer? Yes. Because you say it kind of like 
That's a question. <laughs> well, and, and because, like, not everybody's able to do that. Not everybody is able to look past somebody's words and go with their actions instead. So I say that honestly, just on some like, that's just me. Like I can, I'm able to separate things like that. And I did. Everybody in the group respected me. Even when we were butting heads, (laughs) it all came from a place of respect and true like disappointment, if anything. You were able to separate the words in a song and the people you knew in your life. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that was hard for the media to understand. Oh, yeah, totally. But I also think it was hard for them to understand because most of the people doing those interviews were older people. Yeah, and a lot of them were gay, too. And so it was personal for them. Well, it seemed the subject of your sexuality was another ongoing, endless focus of your work. There's a passage in your 2016 profile with Jenna Wortham That is actually, I think, a really beautiful piece. But after four or five interviews, she continues to press you on you being a queer symbol. And you said, while putting your fork full of pancakes down on the plate, (laughs) maybe I just look at things differently. I never really thought it was a thing. (laughs) You know, like I didn't think it would be this big of a deal. Yeah. Honestly, this being your sexuality. Right. It wasn't something that really came to mind. It wasn't like a decision to be made. Do I do I put these songs out even though I'm singing about girls? Like what? I, I like that never crossed my mind. So when everybody was like, How can you just be so unapologetic? I was like, Well, thank you, first of all, but I don't I I don't know. <laughs> I'd feel very uncomfortable singing songs about men. And I have a strong conscience. <laughs> My conscience like, keeps me out of trouble and stops me from doing things that just aren't me. Maybe the recurring question is, why can't you be a symbol for something? That was, mm. the, that, that was the through line of all these pieces. Right. I wonder, now that we're sitting here, again, 29 and <laughs> 26 in that interview or 20 in the other interview, Yeah. we changed so much in these years. How do you think about the sexuality in your work today is that still not really part of it well it's still not you know a thought when i'm writing i'm happy that it's become a lot more normalized gayness in music you know singing about same-sex relationships and music like just 10 years ago people weren't doing that 10 years ago it's crazy when i was an engineer working out of my parents guest house i used to record a female rapper who was gay very gay and proud, but wrote songs, really vulgar songs about (laughs) dudes. I asked her one day, like, why? Why do you write about men when you like women? She was like, oh, all my best friends are straight. My homegirls, the ones that come with me to all the sessions, they're straight. I want them to like my music. I was like, oh, she wasn't ashamed. She was just like, what? This is music. This is a business. And... I'm trying to get it popping out the mud. What you mean? So that changed my perspective on it and was like, oh, like, we can do what we want. <laughs> you know, I can write about whatever I want. Do you feel like you've been able to write what you want since those early records with the Internet? Or do you feel more emboldened doing these solo projects? It's both. I mean, and with the Internet projects, I, I pretty much take the lead on the writing because I'm singing most of it. The cool thing about internet stuff is that sometimes I get to write songs from Matt's perspective, you know what I mean? Or Steve's perspective. And that's always really fun. Well, can we listen to one that feels like you're getting everyone's perspective in the group? Okay, yeah. Which one? It's called Come Over. Ah, that, was, that was my perspective. <laughs> that was your perspective. Yeah. Right, well, well, in the, well the, the music video, to be fair, is everyone's. Yes. Let's play one that you want. I, I don't, no, no. I love that song. That's like my favorite internet This is for people video. listening when let's they're going to listen. It. So yeah, it's up to you. Yeah, let's come over, man. It's my jam. Okay. It's my jam. <laughs> no, no, it's your jam. You know, it's our jam. It's our jam. Okay. This is Come Over by the Internet off their 2018 record, Hive Mind.
It really does feel like with the internet, and I know you only have one more record left with Columbia, and then I don't know what the future is. Yeah, um, none of us really do. We'll see. That's that's usually how life works yeah, out. Yeah, you know. But with this group, after all you went through on the road with Odd Future, like many of the relationships we form at that age kind of come and go. Some come back, some fade away. People drift apart. It feels like with this new group, you're recreating the feeling that you made happen upstairs at the guest house, above the garage of your parents' home. In fact, I um, just rebuilt the guest house. Still in construction. We're in the final stages. The kitchen is being finished. But yeah, I soundproofed it. It's going to be like the next studio. And Steve Lacey just moved in like down the street from it. By the time we do the next internet album, we'll probably be doing it between his house and my house. What is that thing that we're trying to get at? Like, isn't it true for everyone in some part of their life that they want to recreate the conditions of their childhood? (laughs) That's deep. If you had a good childhood, I guess. You know, in some ways, yes. Like, I was a team player. I played a role in a group that I wasn't leading. And I learned a lot from that leader, Tyler. And then I took those leadership things and applied them to my own kind of group that in a lot of ways led. And I like to think that I took all those lessons and applied them well, the good and the bad. And now I feel like we've gotten to this point where we're almost like leaderless because we've all just come up on our own individually in, in such beautiful and mature ways. And now we're just like a solid unit. I'm thinking about that arc from you in your bedroom, (laughs) making music, being an engineer for people, and how your mother, Janelle, who works as a city clerk. She did for a little bit, yeah. Right now, thankfully, she doesn't have to work anymore. Because of you. If I'm being honest, yes, it is because of me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that she does not have to work. I'm actually really proud of it. It's It's been a few years now, and I haven't really given myself credit for it until recently. It's like, I think it's my biggest flex. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> the reason I bring this up, though, mm-hmm. your mother, Janelle. Yeah. I don't know if she's going to be listening to this. Maybe she will. Probably, yeah. When she was growing up in her early 20s, she wanted to make music. Yes, she wanted to uh, engineer. Mm-hmm. And... Many people, but in particular, one mentor of yours told her, the field of engineering, (laughs) this is a man's place. very male-dominated, yeah. He was looking out for her, though. But 20 years later... Here I am. You happened. And she connected me with him, actually. And the way she tells it was like, yeah, it was a dangerous place for women back then. The entertainment industry in general, I mean, and we've seen a lot of it come to light in the past I don't think it's years. like perfect now. No, not at all. But imagine even back then where there weren't cameras around. People didn't have a camera in their pockets to be able to like catch something. A lot of people were getting, a lot of men I'll say were getting away with a lot with women. So this mentor of mine, Reggie Andrews, shout out, he was dating my mom's sister at the time. He used to bring my mom to like mixing sessions and stuff and let her sit in. And she showed interest, and he was like, you know, I don't know. It's really, it's hard out here for women, basically. And so she kind of hesitated. And yet, 20 years later, <laughs> yeah, you're doing the very thing that he was warning your mother not to do. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever think about the familial arc there? <laughs> that you're kind of actualizing dreams that she had? Well, yeah, actually... I remember when I asked her if I could drop out of college (laughs) because I was failing all my classes, but we were also in the midst of, like, negotiating record deals, so I was like, oh. As one does in college. (laughs) And I remember asking her, like, you know, I'm not able to focus on school. Can I take a break and see where this music thing takes me? And she was like, you know, whatever you do, just do it well be successful. (laughs) And she was like, you know, you're doing something that I always dreamed of doing. So I'm enjoying watching you do it. She's like my biggest fan. Also can be my biggest critic because 
she does this in her, you know, she kind of does this like on her own in her mind. Like she listens to songs from a from like a technical point of view sometimes. I like to have her there when I rehearse because she's honest with me about my voice. About your voice. <laughs> yeah. When you were growing up, you two would watch American Idol. <laughs> and she would say, Oof. the pitch of that person? Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> Does she still do that to you? Yes. Matter of fact, when we were rehearsing for Smoking Grooves, the Emmy and the Internet, I asked her to come to rehearsal and like I gave her a headset. <laughs> I gave her her own, like, ear mix. and Big mistake. You know, honestly, I couldn't have done that in the past, but I'm ready now. Like, I feel like I'm finally at a place where I know who I am enough to be like, all right, you're right, that was trash, but I can do better. I think the, the difference is in the past, it used to hurt a lot more because I felt like I wasn't capable of anything better. I was like, but I'm doing the best I can. If this isn't good enough, I should just quit. And she was like, well, you can't do that. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what do you want me? Uh, so it's better now. And thankfully, I've just gotten to a place of confidence, self-esteem, I guess, where I can take criticism a lot better. What's the song on this new record that captures the confidence you now have? Definitely Missing Out. I was hoping you'd say <laughs> This is Missing Out off Broken Hearts Club. By Sid. You know, it's funny, uh, growing up, your mom would walk around the house <laughs> singing aloud. Mm -hmm. And one of the musicians she introduced you to was Erica Badu. And when I listen to that song, it reminds me of Next Lifetime. Oh, wow. Thanks. <laughs> kind of offering a similar... In your version, it's missing out. Right, right. In her version... Maybe I'll see you next lifetime, yeah. You know, one of the highlights of my life was getting to introduce my mom to Erica Badu in person. How did that go? Uh, it went great. <laughs> it went great. I was uh, I was DJing. This was a long time ago. And I got the chance to DJ a couple opening sets for Erica in L.A. and in Oakland. This is on New Year's Eve? Yeah. Yeah. So New Year's Eve, got to bring my mom backstage, introduce her to Erica and say, this is who introduced me to you. <laughs> you know, it was magical. <laughs> I know. I don't know why I'm so emotional. <laughs> Are you crying, dude? A hair. <laughs> A hair. Yeah. 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 It was cool, man. My mom was like so proud to be able to say that, like, yeah, girl, I used to play you all the time for her. And now look, wait, what is this? It was pretty cool. You know, my last question is actually not my question. It's a question you were asked 10 years ago. Oh. An interviewer asked you, in 10 years, where do you see yourself? You were 20 at the time. Do you want to know what you said? Yeah, what did I say? I'm going to let you read it. <laughs> okay. In 10 years, <laughs> in 10 years, I'll be 30. <laughs> in 10 years, I want to have at least a million dollars, and that's about it. <laughs> I want to have at least $1 million. <laughs> Wow, that's all? That's all I wanted? I, th You know what's crazy is I thought I wanted more. Like, looking back, I thought I, I thought I dreamed of wanting more. It's good to know that I, you know, I gave myself a goal I was able to reach. <laughs> well, you're about to be 30. Yes. Let's run the question back. <laughs> okay. In 10 years, I'd like to have some land some acres here in California where I can drive my trucks and raise like some foster puppies. I don't know. Lately, I'm like really into dog training. So maybe I'll do that. I don't know. So much of this record is about falling in and out of love. Yeah, there's that too. I'm in a happy relationship right now. So shout out to my partner at home. She's watching the puppy. <laughs> 
if you and I are to do this again in like 10 years, Mm -hmm. what do you want to put on record? What do you want to say to this version of you about how you feel in this moment, who you are today? In this moment, I'm happy and I'm full of gratitude. I used to say that, but I didn't feel it. I meant it, but I couldn't feel it. And like, I feel that. So I just want to shout that out. Shout out to gratitude, you know. (laughs) You got to acknowledge it when it's there or else, you know, could leave. And I am grateful that uh, you've come in here and sat with me for as long as you have. (laughs) Of course, man. This was fun. Sid, I'll see you in 10 years. See you in 10 years, man. (laughs) And see you in... our show. Special thanks to Jenna Powell and Juliet Cost at the Oreo Company, Dave Arati at Three Quarter, and of course, Sid. You can stream or purchase her new record, Broken Hearts Club, wherever you get your music. We've also included links to her work in our show notes at talkeasypod.com. Once you're on the site, you'll find a back catalog of over 250 episodes. If you enjoyed today's talk, I'd recommend our conversations with Questlove, Lord, Run the Jewels, Janelle Monet, David Byrne, Vin Staples, Brittany Howard, Kevin Abstract, and Slater Kinney. To hear those and more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at TalkEasyPod. If you want to send in an email or a voice memo for our upcoming mailbag episode, you can do so at mail at TalkEasyPod.com. That's mail at TalkEasyPod.com. We're looking for comments, reflections, any questions you have that you may want us to answer on the air. We're looking forward to doing that this summer. If you want to support Talk Easy by purchasing one of our mugs, they come in cream or navy. You can also purchase our vinyl record with Fran Lebowitz at talkeasypod.com shop. As always, this show would not be possible without our incredible team. Talk Easy is produced by Caroline Reebok. Our executive producer is Janixa Bravo. Our associate producer is Caitlin Dryden. Today's talk was edited by Caitlin Dryden and mixed by Andrew Vastola. It was taped at AZ Los Angeles in Santa Monica. Our music is by Dylan Peck. Illustrations by Trisha Shenoy. Video and graphics by Ian Chang, Derek Gaberzak, Ian Jones, Ethan Seneca, and Layla Register. Special thanks to Patrice Lee, Kaylin Ung, and Shiloh Fagan. I'd also like to thank the team at Pushkin Industries, Justin Richmond, Julia Barton, John Schnars, Carrie Brody, David Glover, Heather Fain, Mia LaBelle, Eric Sandler, Nicole Morano, Maggie Taylor, Morgan Ratner, Maya Koenig, Carly Migliori, Jason Gambrell, Malcolm Gladwell, and Jacob Weisberg. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. I'll see you back here next Sunday with Rupi Kaur. Until then, stay safe and so on. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Did you catch Season 3 of This is Digital? Season 3 of This is Digital goes behind the scenes to reveal how digital trends show up in everyday decisions and actions, including digital lessons from the EV revolution and the chief digital officer's role in disruption and culture, featuring guests like Ekta Chopra of Elf Beauty and Tyson Jomini of J.D. Power. Do you have a digital mindset? Find out by checking out the latest and greatest on Season 3 of This is Digital and learn more at westmonroe.com. 
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.